Can you How see that? It's got mark clip. Oh, yes, it's a beta thing. So I'm going to mark the clip. Do that. There's a marker. Oh, my God. The clip is marked. <laughs> Welcome to On The Reg. We now have markers in our clips. We don't know what that means or how we're going to use them, but it's going to be exciting times from this point forward here at On The Reg Podcast. I'm Dr. Jason Downs from RMIT University, and I'm here with my very good friend, Professor Inga Mewburn, who's from the Australian National University, which is fancy, but she's also better known as the Thesis Whisperer on the internet and all interesting places, and we're here for another episode of On The Reg, where we talk about work, but you know, not in a boring way. We are all about practical, implementable productivity hacks to help you live a more balanced life. Inga, we haven't recorded since I think it was late November last year. It's all kind of we're all back with microphones and screens and things. How have you been since we last caught up? I've been off since the 16th of December, so I feel like I've been off forever now. And I visited Melbourne a couple Mm -hmm. of times, COVID city, and I saw you the first time, which is great. I saw you the second time as well, which was great. Like, But it's sort of dipping in and out because it's really sort of scary COVID times again and COVID Christmas. Not to put too fine a point on it, sucked. Uh, because a young relative of mine tested positive. He somehow didn't spread it to the rest of his family. So I think we dodged a bullet there. Not he didn't dodge a bullet, poor old fellow. He was really quite sick. We think he had Delta, not Omicron, because he had Mm. the the full works of it. Um, And so we'd organised an orphan's Christmas up here in Canberra because a lot of people had been able to travel and uh, had to cancel everything, put ourselves in ISO. Um, So now we're, so it was just a shitty day. You know, it's shitty. I don't like love Christmas. It's not my favourite holiday because I'm not religious, but it's just a nice thing to like get together and eat stuff. And usually we have a few people over and stuff. It was just like nothing. I didn't even put up a tree. It was just, I was hopeless. Just felt like another day and a boring day at that. So Mr. Thesis Whisperer and I are now boosted. Good. Um, Excellent. So now is the time. Come at me, Omicron. Like come at me, bro. (laughs) Um, but Thesis Whisper Jr. is not boosted and he had two shots of the AZ, so he's basically like he's got nothing, I don't know, mm. protection at the moment. And he can't get a booster because, you know, they couldn't have worked out the booster rollout, could they? So he that's really jammed up now and so yeah. he can't get one until way after he goes back to uni. So, yeah. so there's that. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that kind of sucked. And then I had my on leave to do list because I'm a tragic, right? For things that I <laughs> put off because I just didn't have time during the year, including my book uh, yes. with Simon Clues, the Be Visible or Vanish book. Um, it's done, it's with the editor. Wait. Yes, and, and it's such a feeling of relief to just sort of hand it over and go, there yeah. you go, Emma, like fix my spelling mistakes and tell me where it's weird. So we ended up right on the word count. It was all fine. But, you know, I just really realised, I'll talk about this later, how I can't do my job and write a book at the same time. It's just actually not possible because I wrote most of it basically in three weeks. I'm wow. just like, shh. Um, so, but for I had li- other things. <coughs> for like- listeners, at, listeners at home, um, shh. Is Inga miming typing? <laughs> like that's, but typing crazy typing. <laughs> you can't see that, but, but but that's what that noise was all about. She was like crazy, crazy <laughs> eyes, typing fingers. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, I've, luckily we use timing app right to measure how much yeah. time we spend at the keyboard. Brilliant yeah. piece of software, and I worked out that I'd spent twenty two hours um, not on the book. 
but on organising data for the end-of-year report, which needs to be done very early in the new year. And I was sort of getting ahead of myself because I looked at my schedule and realised I didn't have time to get this report done before it was due. So I had Mm. to sort of forward end some of the analysis work, um, which Thesis Whisperer Junior helped me with. He's very useful. He does regression analysis and stuff. So he sort of helped me. And because he was free at that time, I wanted to do it then because when he goes back to uni, he'd tell me to get stuffed. I wouldn't have yeah. time for my my problems. So, <laughs> but I've added all those hours and, you know, it's 22 hours and then the book on top of that. So um, yeah. is it really a holiday, Jason, that I put it to you? So uh, it's sort of been locked down. Basically, you don't really want to go out very much yeah. and I've still got a to-do list and it just feels like work light. Right yeah, 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 yeah. That's, all. <clears throat> That's awful. That's yeah. awful. I'm you? sorry to hear do you want to hear it's been awesome i've been living my best life <laughs> uh christmas uh was good right mm. like yeah so um uh, second order in-laws bought a fancy new apartment what are second order in-laws are they like in-laws yeah in-laws? so right. my wife's brother yes married his wife right. and her parents. Oh, nice. Sweet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah. So, sec- so I'm thinking of them as second-order in-laws rather sure. than first-order first in-laws. I, I made that up. I don't know. Yeah. There's probably actual real terms that you're supposed probably to Probably like once removed, twice removed, all or that something. kind of weird, yeah, weird stuff. Know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they bought this fancy new apartment, which is nice, like really, really, really nice. And they also know how to cook. So basically, yeah, Christmas for me was I basically went to a nice place and got fed great food. I mean, it was like, sign me up. What's wrong about that? What's wrong with my life? Shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that was good. Um, Christmas, Christmas was it was a good day for us. I was also I was a close contact of a confirmed COVID person, and like seriously, that was not great. That was the first time where it kind of really got real. Do you know what I mean? Like we were like, we were legit worried. But anyway, test results, negative. I dodged a bullet. Family dodged a bullet. Like we- You actually managed to get test results, which in itself is pretty tricky. Right. Like our so, testing systems. Fucked. Yeah. Yeah. So there was like, a, I won't go into it because the specifics of it. You just need to know that I had to use all of my jiu-jitsu skills <laughs> to organise a PCR test and when it came to when it came to getting rats that I may or may not have choked out a little old lady um, as part of that <laughs> process <laughs> no I didn't people I didn't like jokes right but um but yeah there was lots of driving around manically going from place to place checking the find a rat website we are now all as vaxxed as we can be in the camp downs number one son had his first shot last week Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm boosted. Kath's obviously been boosted for a long time, healthcare worker. Mm. And so, yeah, we're kind of, we're, we've got the shield as best we can around our little house. But being married to a healthcare worker at the moment is pretty sobering. The hospital system really is kind of struggling. And as we record this, I saw this morning in the press um, that we're past the peak of the Omicron wave here in Victoria, which is good. But, System's still struggling. 
Um, yeah, and, and there's, there's a lag of... time built in, right? Like people get yeah. sick later. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. I reckon like there's lots of lessons that have come out of all of this, but the big one for me is that recognition of how fragile a lot of the systems that we rely on actually are. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the idea of just-in-time supply chains was a good idea when it all worked, right? Mm-hmm. But, but we can see actually how fragile those things are uh, now. And it's not just in food uh, at local supermarkets. It's everything, right? Like we tried to buy, uh, just last night, we tried to buy a new doona cover because we need a new doona cover. Not all out of stock, unknown when they're going to be able to come back in. So I have two you know, words for you. Bed threads. Yes. Bed threads. Mm, check it out. Oh, okay. Well, also good. carbon neutral. Yeah, lovely. Oh, yes. good. Mm, mm. Okay. All right, because I'm driving the bus, right, like yes. I should probably move mm. us forward. All right. Mm. I have become unreasonably excited about beginning a new Bujo for 2022. Mm. As mm. Well. I started a new one. I cracked a new one too. So. Yeah, I kind of – I'm up to volume – three now so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna like start at one and just keep going and i'm just unreasonably excited about that and the annual goal setting exercise with shana we're still in the early edit phases of that so the good <laughs> the good bit about that is like okay we need to go and talk about our goals all right great off to coffee <laughs> like you know, it's like we're gonna, we're gonna meet at a we're gonna meet at a cafe that's got a big table somewhere, right? Like you know, it's like it's serious stuff. We require yeah, good, yeah, co- yeah. good quality Absolutely. coffee. Absolutely. Um, and I've been dialing in my own kind of goals based self improvement system. So we've had a an approach that we've used for a few years now, and I'm adjusting, uh, and I'm trying a different approach this year. Uh, it's very much based on the objectives and key results approach that organisations like Google and others have used. So I did some reading on that last year and thought that I could probably translate it uh, into my kind of personal approach to all this sort of stuff. So setting effective goals and then measuring against those appropriately. It's not going super smooth, but it's like first time, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll make further adjustments as things go um and i've done it inga the final read through of my students thesis my phd students thesis wow that's a huge milestone oh my lord right like i don't have to see this thing again mm-hmm. um and, and he I'm feels not... you all feel the same way but <laughs> yeah right like it's just i'm so thrilled for him he um it's just uh, great work he's done it as all PhD students who have had to battle through COVID times and mm. do their thesis at the same time, mm. that's all very, very hard. Um, he is a health, he's in the health system. Mm. So it's like, it's hard, hard. Double whammy. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Double whammy. Yeah. Um, working full time, blah, 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 mm. all that sort of stuff. Anyway, it's from my side, it's, it's done now. That is done. Yes. And yes. I, and I'm just like, I'm just thrilled for him and I'm, Sure, he is as well. So, yeah, that's really that's really kind of uh, we've done a little bit of tinny business. We've been camping. It's like it's been it's been good. And I'm still on leave until Thursday, so I go back to work on Thursday. And I've been studiously ignoring all of my email as part of that process. So there's bound to be a whole bunch of problems in there. <laughs> but that's Thursday's job. <laughs> 
I've been going into email phishing, you know, like I know someone sent me something like the editor and I've just searched for the person's uh, name yeah. and tried to just ignore all the rest, but I can just see this enormous pile. But, you know, they all got my out-of-office message. So yeah. they yeah, and they were fully briefed that they wouldn't yep. be getting an answer straight away. So, you know, I'll get there when I get there. Yeah, I thought it was a great out-of-office, actually. Thank um, you, because, yes. Yeah, because I got it because I, um, I sent you a I sent you an email about something I can't remember now, um, and then it bounced back, and I'm like, ha-ha, look at that. It was good. It was good. <laughs> I um, always include links out to what I'm doing so that, you know, if I'm going a place, I send them a link like I'm going to a barn to go riding and here you can go. and get so, so sort of make them realise I'm not just sitting at home waiting for your email. There's a yeah. whole lot of shit going on. Yeah. 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 Mm. Inga, you tell me that our speak pipe has got. Two speak pipes. Two speak pipes. Yeah, it's Do, very let, exciting. Let's let's play them. And, I know. This the, is, magic, this is all... the magic of Riverside now. We've worked out. How you can actually hear a clip at the same time that I play it to you rather than... Don't forget to mark it. Press the little mark button on oh, mark the side. Mark there clip. We <gasps> there we go. Get creative for marker. Okay, right. So uh, this first one is from Siobhan. Thanks, Siobhan. Mm-hmm. All the way in St Andrews, Scotland. I'm just going to press play and hope for the best. Hi. Um, I just wanted to send a quick message saying how much I love your guys' podcast. On the Reg is something I listen to on the reg um i actually didn't see it and i ended up binging um like several of your episodes absolutely loved it it just felt like i was sitting in a room with you guys and just being a part of a conversation about life and academia and the pandemic and i've just really appreciated your honesty i'm a final year eek phd student um so i've just loved um hearing about um the way that you guys are involved in supporting students your own stories um i really love the podcast and i love how it's organized and the formatting now i know jason downs you do not want to order another book um (laughs) but i am going to um suggest i would love to hear guys thoughts on a new book that's come out called four thousand weeks by oliver berkman and he used to be a columnist for the guardian um and did stuff on productivity and now he's kind of renegated on what he um, um, suggested. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Ah. I'm about to get cut off, but love your podcast. Thank you so much and look forward to hearing more. Ah, oh, thank you, It's so Siobhan. lovely, isn't it? And, yeah. and didn't I tell you, like, haven't we actually been talking about that book and I said the universe is telling me to read it because at least three people have told me, one of whom was Siobhan, yeah. that, that uh, we should read this book. And then I said, I don't know if I can read it, Jason. Oh, my God. I just, <laughs> and then you said, it's all right, I'm going to read it. I'll take it for the team, remember? We had yeah. Book, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was Siobhan was the third yeah. person to tell me. Awesome, Siobhan. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm. I, I'm desperately trying not to order my to to be red pile. Oh my god, I can't step over it now. <laughs> like it's just like it's out of control. It's embarrassing, um, and, I, and, and a, you can't even see the ones in my Kindle. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm a, like I'm a tragic. So um, even though I've said that I don't want to order any more books, I'm going to make sure I get a copy of that one. I'll read it and uh, I'll report back. So thank you. Looking forward to it. Um, and thank you for your nice comments too. That, that was, yeah. Yeah, that was lovely. very affirming, wasn't it? 
It was very affirming. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Siobhan. <laughs> Thanks, um, Siobhan. All right. So now we've got another SpeakPipe message, and this is from our friend Jonathan O'Donnell, who was on the reg back last year. We had a really yep. good chat, and we talked about waste and good waste and efficiency. Yes. So we'll put a link back to, to the um, discussion with Jonathan. Jonathan's one of our whisper collective and um, from whispercollective.net where we curate the web for you so so jonathan has rung in to offer me some advice jason great um based on our last episode which is about email hi jason hi inga thanks for the latest episode open rates your goal is not to maximize your open rate your goal is to maximize the information that you pass to people Open rates are just a proxy for that. But in, it sounds like, Inga, mostly what you're passing across to people is information about events. So, in fact, you already know how many people go to the event, so you know how effective that is. So uh, you're not trying to – let me put it this way. If 100% of people open your newsletter and no one goes to the events, is that a success? Mm. Absolutely not. You could, you could use a couple of things to try and improve the effectiveness of the newsletter. Um, you could put a specific call to action, uh, send this event to someone you think who might be interested in it and make it really easy for people to do that. Yeah. So test whether they can just cut and paste it into a, a, an email and, and all the links will still work. The other thing you want to do is go outside of the newsletter. So you've maximized your newsletter. You've got 50% open rate. So what other communication avenues are open you, to you to get that information out to people? Because you probably won't get more effectiveness from your newsletter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank yeah. you for that, Jonathan. And like 100% right. So if you recall that last conversation, what I was complaining about was people not opening this email, then complaining that they didn't know about events. And um, he's right. It's no point. The the information is the object and the object is to make sure people have the information. So it really got me thinking that actually because the newsletter itself is a web object. So how can we tweet that more? How can we kind of point people at that more? What are the incoming? And also that idea of a call to action to share it with someone you know. We know that's really powerful in student networks. If yeah. if one student tells another student this was good or and we often use student testimonials and, and things like that. So uh, lots of food for thought and really did get us before this episode started talking a little bit about measuring what matters and that's probably yeah. a conversation that could be really ongoing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like- Jonathan O'Donnell, man, it's just smart. Yeah, clever people, clogs. Right? Yeah, he's yeah. super clever. Mm. Um, and he just he like nailed it, like just right to the heart of the issue um, with that comment. And when I, when we're listening to the speak part there, I'm just I know people can't see it at home, but I was kind of like nodding along. Right? It's it's like yeah, it's exactly right. It's not it's not the open rate just because that's the thing that we can measure. Like that's how the system is set up. Mm. Doesn't actually mean that it's measuring the right thing. Mm. Um, and mm. Jonathan's Jonathan's comment there was just like bang on. And yeah. this is really important, I think, for people with teaching evaluations, right? We know yeah. they're so flawed. We know that students um, fill them in differently for women and men, um, yeah. people of colour. Um, yeah. So what other ways can you actually measure your teaching maybe while you're in the classroom so you get a clearer sense of what at What's the learning going on? Like one thing that we do, we used to just have a really quick exercise at the end of a class where we'd say we'd have post-it notes and we'd have a Kanban board and be, what did you like? 
what confused yep. you, what do you want more of? And we'd spent five minutes on this and the data we got from that honestly was much more useful for organising our program and making sure that we were doing things that people wanted. Um, and we're just sort of building in a standardised sort of poll at the end of our Zoom sessions now. So rather yep. than ask people what they think, you know, ask them for that experiential data at the time. Um, And then do long-term follow-ups and look at their completion rates and how long they took and then how many classes they attended. And like, and so, so sometimes you just got to get these indirect measures that are actually more powerful than, than getting them to fill in a stupid survey, which, you know, we honestly should stop doing those. I think, um, yeah, there's got to be better ways to measure quality. Yeah, yeah, totally. And for everybody who's listening, who might be thinking about how do we, or, how might you evidence your teaching practice? Mm. What Inga just talked about just then, where you've got, if it's physical face-to-face and you, and people have got post-it notes and they're sticking them on the Kanban board, take a photograph of that because that then becomes evidence. And you would be surprised at how few, my experience is that there are very few people who actually really focus on collecting the evidence around their teaching practice. And so what that actually means is that if you were to do that and then to apply for one of your university learning and teaching awards, like the internal awards, um, and you can evidence it because you've got photographs or you've got, you know, comments on if you're doing it in a digital way, you've got comments from the surveys, those in all of that sort of stuff is like the committees would love it. They would just eat it up because it shows that you've got a – uh, a scholarly approach to your improve uh, improving your own teaching practice as yeah, well. Yeah, it's empirical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Post-it notes, post-it notes are the most useful classroom tool invented ever. Sometimes I get students to compare their thesis to an animal or their writing practice to a car. And people, <laughs> the animal one's really funny because some people like it's a magical creature at the bottom of the ocean and some people <laughs> like three-toed sloth. But my very favourite one was one, one student just wrote, it's a cockroach. It never dies. <laughs> <laughs> I kept is- it. I've got it stuck up on my board. It's just the best. I have like this whole like shoe boxes full of, of post-it notes from classes. They're really fun. Um, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Maybe we should do a, a post-it note ex- episode one time, Jason, like how yeah. to use post-it notes in your practice. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I love them. I love them too. I got post-it notes everywhere. They're great. They're, they really are. They're under underappreciated. All right, yes. let's talk yeah. about our work problems. Yes. How about how about you do that because I'm driving the bus and it's your turn to go kind of deep dive. So our work problem segment is I, this part of the show. We focus on one aspect of work and we talk about the problems that we've encountered or something we found interesting that we've read and we like to analyze these problems because, you know, academics. So sometimes we go to the literature, which is what Inga's done this time as well. We also try to be practical, sharing our tips and hacks if we've got them for solving the problems. We take turns doing that, deciding what the actual problem is. And this week it's Inga's turn. So I'm going to hand it over to you and wave my hands Uh, I've absolved myself of bus driving responsibilities for the next bit. Excellent. Well, Jason, I foreshadowed it in my complaining at the head of the episode about my holiday to-do list and whether or not I was actually on holiday or whether I was just work light. And um, I've noticed how closely my hobbies are entwined with my work life. So blogging's kind of a hobby. Podcasting's definitely a hobby. It's kind Mm. of creative intellectual labour. And I know lots of 
academics do this because I've been watching Twitter and the number of people confessing to writing a book over the holidays or doing yeah. a paper or whatever. And I know it's much healthier to go out in the tinny, uh, mm, but I don't, yes. I don't have a tinny. Um, and the closest I get to truly relaxing, not even kidding, is that Mr Thesis Whisperer bought me a sun lounger for my birthday last year and I've set up a fake resort out on my deck with one of the fancy sun loungers. And I sit there with a, a zero alcohol beverage of some sort. Um, yes. And I listen to podcasts. And that I don't read. I just stare at the sky and I listen to podcasts. And that's as relaxed as I ever get, right? Wow. Yeah. Dude, so, we are going to, we need to talk. Well, I know. Like I actually find <laughs> relaxing stressful and um, my brain goes 100 miles a minute. So I'm actually much more relaxed when I'm doing something than when I'm sitting around and that's like it's not it's not good everyone really does need to switch off and yeah. it can't just be television so as I said I noticed on Twitter a lot of people doing writing and a lot of people complaining about it I didn't feel alone which was good um, mm. a lot of people were sort of tweeting in a really positive way like finally I've got time to write I'm really enjoying it I don't have all the other kind of pressing things and I felt that too doing my book like it, it was actually an enjoyable thing to write as to when I tried to write it during the year when it was really stressful. And it had felt really stressful during the year whenever I'd stopped, given like two hours in an afternoon in a busy week and gone, right, now I'm going to write this book. And I just not creatively in the mood and it felt yeah. like I was never going to get there and, and I had lots of negative associations with it, which made it increasingly difficult to open up the file and get it done. And it's really only because there's a deadline that that thing is done and that thank mm. you, Simon, um, we kind of – um, chivied each other along and got there in the end. Um, and because it's Twitter, of course, you can't just say you're happy about something. Someone will have to be unhappy about your happiness. <laughs> so there were plenty of other people telling the people who were enjoying writing to stop humble bragging and that oh. writing on the holidays is unhealthy. And one person pointed out, of course, that having paid holidays at all where writing can be done is only available to some academics, that it's a privilege, mm. which is bullshit but also really true like it's mm. crap that that's the situation and made the really cogent point I thought which really pulled me up in my tracks which is that it sets unrealistic expectations on everyone else everyone else to perform at that same level the people who don't want to work during their holidays are therefore at a disadvantage and especially casuals who don't get any support to do that anyway so they could be doing other kinds of paid work um, instead, they feel like they have to further their resumes when they should be taking time off and that they never get to switch off. And I felt guilt. I felt mm. my privilege really acutely. At the same time, I just, I was sort of enjoying it. And I had a lot of, look, uh, it was complicated. I had a lot of mixed feelings yeah. about it. I know that riding on the holidays is unhealthy for me personally, like my back pain flared up and I was kind of hating myself as I was doing and I was annoyed that there wasn't enough time in my paid job and yet it's sort of expected that I do this sort of thing. And I began to wonder two things, Jason. So I had two questions um, yes. reflecting on how I was feeling. Are academic activities like writing an obsessive passion, one that's exploited by our employers? Should yeah. we start to push back? If so, how? Um, and does pushing back mean that we cut ourselves off from those sources of enjoyment and intellectual fulfilment as well? So I don't yeah. think there's any easy answers here. So as a starting no. point for thinking about it, and it's a paper that I pulled out, I showed it to you when I came down in December. Mm. I said, I want to talk about this paper. Ah. Um, <laughs> and you were like, yeah, okay, whatever. And um, <laughs> um, because it really spoke to me, the paper's called The Dark Side of Leisure, 
Obsessive Passion and Its Covariates and Outcomes by Stensberg, Rise and Craft from the University of Oslo. And it was published in Leisure Studies in 2011. Can I take a pause and just say, well done, those academics who have made their study area tourism and leisure. Just saying. For your trips. Like, respect. Good on you for choosing a fun topic. And actually, like, I find tourism journals really fun. Like, really I'm not interesting. Co- I'm not going to dob anyone in here, right? Mm-hmm. So no names, right? right. A- and no institutional affiliations, nothing. Right. But I did have a conversation with a person once who legit decided that they wanted to study HR practices in cruise liner like cruise ship no shit yeah right really yeah i wanted to go cruising i'm not no i'm not saying oh sure no no absolutely not a reason at all not a reason at all but it was a very very specific (laughs) like seriously what is what what are we doing wrong jason like i'm just saying i I know i like i at the time, I'm like, that is genius. <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, man, right? Like, if you're wondering what to do next with your research, you know, just have a think about it. Right? Yeah. I mean, yes. you know, we can't do a lot of travel at the moment. It's a bit tricky, but it can be done. Like you can do yeah. it. Although I hear being on yeah. a plane for 12 hours in a mask is pretty brutal. So I'm not, I'm not leaping at the chance to go back to that yet. Anyway, yeah. so uh, we'll include the link to the article in the show notes. Um, and obviously it's 10 years old. There's probably been more research since then. But, you know, this is just my one reading of this article because I thought it really related to a problem that I personally was experiencing. So it starts off and it's a psychology paper and it's got lots of stats. So the article starts off by saying um, leisure time, like the idea of leisure, is, is thought of as an unambiguous good in our culture. You know, what can be wrong with people just doing what they want based on what they enjoy? What's wrong with that, right? So, and I thought that's a really interesting place to start and that definitely is a strongly held belief. And also there's a belief that happiness is strongly correlated with being involved in lots of different things. So leisure time is obviously important um, because you it means that you're not just at work all the time, you're doing different yep. sorts of activities and that's associated with happiness. But they point out that doing something you enjoy is not always good for you. Ah, People can enjoy gambling, drinking, excessive computer gaming, baking. Jiu-jitsu. Brazilian (laughs) jiu-jitsu. I'm just saying. (laughs) And they're saying, you know, a lot of these healthy activities can be done to excess, you know, and the various bandages that I've seen on your face, you know. Yes. I'm I'm feeling seen here. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. I felt very seen by it. And, you you know, think about how many people you know who are runners, right? Yeah. Like runners to the point where they claim they have a runner's high, which I don't really believe. But, you know, they'll keep doing it and they'll bung their knees and their hips and they'll have multiple knee replacements and they'll keep running. So it was a really important point, I thought, thought to make. And so the paper then says that there's a dualistic model of passion which is a very psychologist way of talking about two ways to think about it. And they call it two motivational paths to a habitual engagement in a favourite activity. Um, oh, people, just, English, yeah. right? English. Uh, yeah. Simplify. Yeah, so there's, there's two paths, they're saying, harmonious right. and obsessive. Mm. So mm. harmonious is fairly obvious. You like doing it. So you do it as much as you want to within the bounds of everything else you have to do. It fills the time. It's pleasurable. It's the tinny, Right. Yes. The tinny is <laughs> harmonious leisure. 
right? Yeah. It's got its place. You do it. You love yeah. it when you do it. It doesn't interfere with other things. It has its place. Obsessive yeah. passion is defined as controlled, rigid engagement in an activity which thwarts positive experiences and outcomes. In other words, too much of a good thing, right? So I think about my friends who are very into crafts and knitting. Yes. Yes, and which I used to love to do crochet, but I was yes. put on the bench by my physiotherapist because it just made my shoulder frozen. And they have uh-huh. kind of crafting injuries and you can, you know, and they have <laughs> work around stuff. So, and they have, you know, I have to finish this jumper or they have set targets. Yeah. Or people who do martial arts a lot can be fall into similar patterns where they've yeah. got to sort of reach certain targets and so on. And yeah. so, of course, because totally. this is a psych paper, um, they want to prove whether obsession, passion, obsessive passion is bad for you with numbers, right? Good. Excellent. Right. Love that. Let's go there. I'll try and make them not boring. And I needed a lot of help to understand them, if I'm being honest. Um, so they did two, <laughs> two kind of experimental studies. So the first one, they're trying to understand how obsessive passion is experienced by the individuals, mm-hmm. right? And the second one is just about well-being, like whether the obsessive passion is good for you or not. Yeah. So the first paper had like 115 men and 92 women. They were around about 27 years old and they spent average time in their activity was about 11 hours a week. And one of the fun way, things about this paper was the way that they try to measure. I always find the way that psychologists try to measure things really fun. And yes. um, the first measure they use is the passion scale. So <sighs> they ask people to think about their leisure leisure activities in relation to questions. So if I think about my intellectual academic leisure activities, mm-hmm. um, I could think about it through a series of questions, answer on a Leichhardt scale one to seven, you know, things like yep. this activity reflects the qualities I like about myself, right? Hmm. So I like that I'm an intellectual person, so doing this makes me feel intellectual. Therefore, it I would be answering a high on that, right? Yes. Uh, my activity is well integrated into my life. Well, it is in one sense because the things that I do in my leisure time really reinforce how good I am at my job. Like they are yeah. harmoniously integrated. I have difficulties controlling my urge to do this activity, you know, mm. which is really something to think about, like guilt. It might be self-imposed or externally motivated, like the urge to do email and clean up before the next day is kind of self-imposed but externally motivated. So some of the work that I was doing on the holidays was self-imposed but externally motivated, so getting the data in order for the report as opposed to writing the book. So, And I did definitely experience those two activities very differently. I was much more resentful doing the data cleaning than I was writing the book. And things like if I could, I would only do this activity. And then they tried to measure activity addiction. So, you know, do you feel the need to do the activity increased amount of times to increase, achieve satisfaction? Have Mm. you repeatedly made unsuccessful attempts to control or cut back or stop this activity? And that really gave me pause, Mm. right? And then then there's escapism. So one of the good things about leisure is you can get sort of bound up a sense of flow that you lose yourself in the activity. So when you're knitting or when you're baking or when you're taking the tinny out, you're not thinking about other things. You're kind of in the moment. And so they ask things like, do I try to suppress my problems or when I engage in the activity, am I escaping from reality? My favourite scale name was Mm. the Activity Inclusion Discrepancy Scale. Um, which is basically the, a fancy activity inclusion discrepancy scale, which the is really AIDS a bit, scale. <laughs> AIDS scale. <laughs> it's 
Dang. Badly dangerous. Um, So how much it conflicts with the rest of your life. So, you know, what do you perceive the relationship to be? What do people close to you think about it? Do you think they prefer that your relationship was different, that kind of thing? Mm. So from asking these series of questions through those scales, they found these things about the experience of obsessive passion. That obsessive passion can be thought of as a psychological dependency, even if you just think of it as your favourite thing to do. So you can be dependent in a kind of addictive manner on an activity, even if you're enjoying it. That the more you lose yourself in activity, the more obsessive it's likely to be. And that Mm. obsessive passion is more likely to be related to an imbalance between um, your inner will and your felt obligations. So that it has similar overlaps with addiction. Mm. Um, And I've just put in the show notes here, ouch. Mm. You live with someone who works in addiction, right? So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so what are you thinking so far? Well, like, so one of the benefits of living with someone who works in the addiction fields is that you get to see lots of papers and, you know, like papers about addiction and that sort of stuff. Mm. So, you know, I can't walk past something without, if there's something on a table and it's got words on it, I'm going to read it. (laughs) And working through the show notes as you were talking about this sort of stuff, I mean, those are very common questions in the drugs and alcohol space, uh, the alcohol and other drugs space. Um, yeah. Remembering that alcohol is, in fact, a drug. Yeah. So um, I'm looking at all of this and I'm seeing those questions slightly worded in slightly different ways, but very much you see them this sort of, yeah, in the addiction mm. space a lot. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, and would you ouch. feel any of your activities felt like, I think, like, I think for me that the data cleaning activity did not fall in this, like, that just felt like work that had been shifted and I was yeah. cross about it. Whereas yeah. the writing activity, there's an itch to write, like I have an yeah. itch and yeah. I have to scratch it. And, yeah. you know, that started to wonder how much of that was sort of self-imposed external motivation, which is knowing that my university wants me to produce things versus yeah, yeah. just self-imposed, addictive, compulsive kind of behaviour. Really made me think anyway how I would have answered. Yeah. Oh, man, this is, so, this is such tricky space and... And I am in no way qualified to talk about addictions at all, uh, about this sort of stuff. I'm hypersensitive to it as a topic because of, because of who I, you know, who I'm married to and, and mm. who I live with. And it's, I, I find it, I find it really difficult to talk about because everybody's experience of addiction is different. Mm. Does that make sense? It's, yeah. it's, it's very, very personal. And what could be an, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, I can't count. So <laughs> what you could experience as an itch, that's different to potentially that's different to what others would clinically think of as an addiction. So it it's it's super, super tricky to kind of put your finger on it and then I would be wary of self-identifying as being addicted. Yeah, so um, I don't think I am. I yeah. think what they're trying to tease out here is like, where's the line? Is there a line? Yeah. Um, does it share similarities? So they they followed that up with their study on well being. So I suppose the thing with addiction is like, by definition, you are suffering in some way because of this dependency. So first of all, yeah. they set up that you know you could be dependent on yeah, yeah, yeah. you know an activity and be getting 
getting what you need from it and it could be like an escape from reality. So for me, when I'm writing, it's definitely an escape from reality. I'm so fully occupied with what I'm thinking about um, that it shuts and crowds out all the other worries and concerns that I might have, right? And so it is, uh, for me, kind of a really good tool for managing my anxiety, which is, you know, actually diagnosed and treated. Um, yes. You know, and so I, I'm not managing the full spectrum of my anxiety because the medication's helping me with that, but I am, mm. um, I am finding it calms my inner voice and my ruminations and I can get lost in the activity and that, that I need that in my life. Right. Yeah. So their can question I, then I, is like, do you, can do you I need it jump, to? Yes. Can I just jump, jump in? I know. Yes. I know. We want to kind of move forward a little bit, but mm. um, I don't want to move too much more forward without kind of saying this. Right. Mm. Um, this conversation could be triggering for a lot of people. Well, we'll have to put um, a content warning at the start. We'll have to put a content yeah. warning at the start. But if you're listening to this and you and this is triggering feelings in you at all. Without a doubt, go and see someone. Go and see a professional because early intervention uh, is best, right? And even if it's just like, hey, maybe, you know, maybe I need to go and talk to someone. Therapy is awesome. There are smart people who know how to do this stuff. I've been to therapy myself. It just, it helps me deal with my shit. So, like, if it's a, it's a tricky conversation that we're having at the moment. So, mm. um Please. I think a lot of people are really struggling yeah. with it because, like, if Twitter was any guide, there are a lot of people having a lot of mixed feelings about yeah. what they were doing and, you know, how 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 coerced they felt. I think there's a whole separate discussion to be had about how you feel exploited mm. or not and aside from. So, the, like, this is getting to, like, I agree, really complex territory and mm. it's really worth talking to someone about it if you're struggling with it or even if you're just curious about yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I think this is the thing with going to therapy and seeing therapy is just something you do when you're in crisis is not actually, it's like not going to the doctor for a regular blood test. Like, sometimes yeah, you just yeah. need to check in with someone who can help you with your thought patterns. And I, I mean, I do it regularly. But, yeah. you know, but I, I am diagnosed. So, like, I'm fairly low on the anxiety scale and I'm not in the depressive uh, sort of range right. of things. So, uh, so I know sort of exactly what's going on with me, but this is this is what's really highlighted to me why I need to pay attention, right? If something's soothing my anxiety, that for me can have like I used to be a smoker. I loved smoking, loved it. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. So I know I have a tendency to you know have drugs of dependence. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so far for me, it's only ever been smoking. So like, there's a lot of really complex stuff going on there, and some of it's yeah. just beyond your control, right? Yep. And it's it's developing an awareness to what's happening and going, oh, and being curious about that, about yourself, which is I think what this paper really helped me really think through some issues related to it. I'll move yeah. on um, and it'll become yeah, clearer good. at the end, I think. So yep. so first of all, they're, they're trying to sort of sort out what is obsessive passion and is it a sort of dependency, where does it sit on that kind of scale? The second thing that they were trying to do is work out, does it interfere with your well-being? So mm. they had what's called a needs satisfaction scale, which is, need for autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So autonomy means you're doing it because you want to do it. Competency mm -hmm. is doing it because you want to improve yourself. Relatedness is about a sense of belonging or doing things with other people. They looked at effective outcomes, did it make you feel good or not, and whether you were just satisfied with your life overall. And 
they found, and this is the paragraph that I got to, and like, you know, you there was a paper a while back where you're like, I don't understand this paragraph. Like, what yeah. is it trying to say? So uh, this is the paragraph. I'll read it out. Obsessive passion for a leisure activity was negatively related and unrelated to several measures of well-being. The study suggests that the maladaptive aspects of obsessive passion found in study one affect the psychological outcomes from leisure activity engagement in a negative direction. I had to ask Brendan to interpret this <laughs> and his interpretation of this and a few other paragraphs around it was, as you become more obsessively passionate, it's likely your enjoyment in the activity will be reduced, but it doesn't mean that your whole life goes to shit, I quote. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like... You have got a real resource there. Oh, this is Whisperer Junior. Bloody useful, I tell you what. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a future in science communications, maybe. So yeah. here's, here's what I drew from the paper. And these are some thoughts to myself, but something to think about if you find yourself doing the same things as me. So if right. you really actually enjoy writing on your holidays, do it. Right? These are my yeah. notes to myself. But yeah. do the writing you actually like, like yeah. blogging. Or writing a book, like a how-to book. I love to write those kind of books, but I hate writing yeah. academic papers, therefore I crossed that one off my list. I didn't do the academic paper I had on my list. I thought I don't, I'm not going to enjoy that. That's not yeah. enjoyable writing. So separating yeah. out enjoyable writing from not enjoyable writing and just doing it, if you're doing it for the enjoyment, actually enjoy it. Yep. Um, don't do it if it starts to negatively affect your life or impact on other holiday activities. So a, a back flare-up, um, yeah. a sore back is a sign to stop basically, and go and sit on the sun lounger and listen to podcasts. I mean, you do you, boo, no judgment. But the question I sort of think you have to ask yourself, and I do ask myself, especially from being in a position of professorial privilege is, is my behaviour harming others? So is my behaviour, writing on the holidays, harming others? Potentially, yes. Right? So I am setting an unrealistic standard for younger academics to reach who don't have the resources and the time and a paid holiday to commit the resources to. So so potentially, yes, like if I'm using writing in my holidays to kind of further my career, then that kind of metricised writing, I like to call it, the writing that's measured as a gain from my institution, I should stop doing that on the holidays. Like that's a personal decision, like that's up to you. Um, yes. and everyone else who's in this position. But for me, um, that conflicts with my values. So, therefore, I'm now really going to be very careful about what writing projects I put in the holiday, make sure they're for, they are for enjoyment. Now, where does le- that leave me with this book, yep. right? So clearly, no matter how closely I measure out my time, and, you know, listeners will know, we measure it very closely yep. and manage it as, as well as anyone can manage time. I clearly can't write a book and have a full-time academic job. Yep. My job. Yep. Other people yep. might be able to, but I can't. So I manage yep. four other people. And, I've, you know, there's just a lot of email and stuff in my life. And I'm also no longer at a point in my career where I need those kind of runs on the board. Therefore, yep. no book contract for me in 2022. Wow. That'll be the first no book contracts. In eight year. years. Yeah. I was about to say, right? Like, Yeah. I've done seven books in eight years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, as much as I enjoy and it's flattering to be asked and all that kind of thing, I'm just not going to do it. Like this is the last one. And if I take one up next year, it'll have to be with full like planning. Now I've got good records over seven years of how long it takes me to actually do these things. The other thing that I did, Jason, you'll be proud of me, is I took the 22 hours 
um, yep. that I worked. And yes. I put those days off around Easter. So I'm taking my time back. And I did that I, in advance next to another holiday where I'm more likely to, you know, other people aren't going to be around, that kind of thing. And so I'm actually just time shifted some of my holiday into the future. So, like, I think I found a balance there. And it's only through really thinking it through um, yeah. that I didn't just unconsciously replicate those expectations of academics and that exploitative pattern. It's not like my vice chancellor, who's a lovely man and super smart, doesn't like he's sitting there cracking the whip on me or anything. Like yeah. he talks about holidays and turning off and everything a lot. It's just like, am yeah. I actually listening? And also what the institution says it wants and what it actually wants are not always the same thing, right? Yep. So yep. even though it says you must take your holidays, really it also wants you to do all these things. So you are caught in a kind of bind. And I, But I think if, if, if I can't do it, then like, you know, none of yeah, us yeah. can and I should. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. So it's yeah. super tricky, right? Because I didn't want to ask you the question about what you were going to do with those 22 hours. I can't on air. I was like, I'm not see where this goes. And, and I'm really like, I'm thrilled to hear that you have decided to do that too. And that you've, I mean, you've, you did this work, you did it on your annual leave period. Like, yeah. Yep, totally. However, the guilt, right? Like I'm talking from my side, like when I've done similar things like this, like if I've worked, you know, if I've worked when I shouldn't have worked yes. and the, I've got a long history of doing that as well, mm-hmm. um, then picking up, a, like taking a Friday in effectively in lieu or, uh, you know, to claw that time back. Yeah. Oh, man, it's just... It's just guilt-inducing, right? Yeah. I just like – and so it's not easy to do that sort of stuff. So, so one, I'm super proud of you for being able to do that. And, yeah, man, like – but there's no there's no guilt ray being aimed at us by, like, you know, some no. No, this evil is all, person on the moon, yeah. right, with no, a right? Guilt, guilt cannon, right? Like, it's just like <laughs> – <laughs> like, this is just, we, we do it to ourselves. Yes. We do it to ourselves. And yes. that's so hard because to go back to your earlier question about is the university exploiting that, I, I don't think they are, but I don't think they're supporting us in a way to be able to make those effective decisions on our own. Correct. That, I like, think it's a They're just being problem. silent about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I think yeah. they're just being silent on it. I, I, I don't think it's malicious in terms of that silence. It works for them. The system right. works, right? Yeah. And so not fixed, don't not broken, don't fix it sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I don't think that the universities are, are genuinely – I don't – I've been in enough high-level meetings where, I, you know, very, very senior people are not sitting around rubbing their hands together going, ha-ha, we got another one. Like, you know, we, we pulled it over the eyes of those academics. Like, that's just that's just bullshit. That's not happening, right? And like, they're as overworked as the rest of us, if not absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, but where the trickiness lies in all of this is taking control, taking effective self-control over this sort of stuff is really hard. And I've spent a significant part of my career trying to figure out how to do that as well. And that can take up a bunch of time 
It all starts, Jason, and I, I say this over and over to people, is really having good data about your own time that you're spending. Yep. And things like Text Expander that save time that enable you to to calculate that effort. I'd be very upset and anxious if that was being done to me. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but doing it to myself and that data being private and only viewable by myself but used for self-management the way that yep. I used the timing da- data where I went back through and I forensically looked at it day by day and I did a calculation and then I yep. added in the time that it took me to do the calculation because that's also work. That's yep. articulation work, right? Articulation and then, work. And then I then I was like, okay, this this number of hours, where is it going to fit? And that actually was a bit of a head fuck going forward in my diary and realising how full it yeah. was already. Oh, my God. And where I'm like, yeah, if I didn't do it now, it wasn't going to happen yeah. because already the next month and a half is completely chockers and yeah. just enough pieces of Lego rocks in the stream that I couldn't have taken a whole day off for weeks yeah. on end. Um, yeah. And it's got to be a whole day. Like taking a half day for me no. just doesn't work. Unless I take a yeah. whole day, I'm not going to. And I might do some writing then. But now I have my new, you know, my new sort of playbook. I'll write my romance novel instead. That's what I am going to write. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking the pressure off myself with that to just go, I'm just going to write it. I'm not going to think about publishing or doing, I'm just going to finish it and see what it looks like at the end. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm going to do it purely for enjoyment and that, and really sort of move things, you know, to the enjoyment space very consciously and make sure they stay in the right kind of balance. I think that's the yeah. thing. Yeah. Please tell yeah. me that your your romance writing is, like, salacious, right? Oh, it's so totally. It's filthy. <laughs> <laughs> it's shocking. It's actually shocking me what's coming out of myself. And I'm like, I can't publish this under my name. I might have to quit my job first and make that my next career. It's um. Different. You also did some reading when you were down here. You did two flying visits, and I gave you all of my Tim Ferriss bro books. Indeed. Um, did you <laughs> I learned a new word. I learned a new word. This. Oh, are we in our reading segment now? You don't have any other reading that you've been doing. Uh, did you, no. Did you read about uh, Navy Seals? Um, oh and, yes. Yeah, Jonathan, tell us about that. Yeah. Jonathan O'Donnell. Like the man just knows who I am, right? Like yeah, well, <laughs> so. There was, there was this tweet. Uh, Jonathan tweets out to a mutual friend, uh, Relly Pops. Hey, Relly Pops, friend of the podcast, who is forever tweeting photographs of her writing and drinking green tea, blah, blah, blah. Jonathan tweets out, he finds the special operations, like the special forces nutrition doctrine for the US Army slash Navy SEALs slash Air Force recon, blah, blah, blah. This is a book, right, like <laughs> of what special forces people should eat and drink. Like if you're going to if you're gonna be a SEAL, you're going to eat like a SEAL, right? Not the marine mammal version, yes, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So Jonathan tweets this thing out and I, man, I went down a Navy SEAL hole. <laughs> like I was like, I should have been doing other things. This yeah. is... Like, oh, my God, I learned about boats. I learned about when the Navy SEALs moved from one particular firearm, like sidearm pistol type thing, and they retired that particular platform and they moved to another sidearm platform because they call them platforms. Right? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that's the legit term for this stuff and why they chose this gun and not that gun and, like, how long it's been in service and, like, oh, my God. Um, so much fun. For anybody who's even vaguely interested in this stuff, the website you want to go to is navyseals.com. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, be prepared. 
there's a and whole... so they recommend they recommend green tea. So now I yeah, have this image green... of hulking men with guns, little yes. cups of green tea. Yes, the, yeah. as a stress as a stress reliever. So green t- green tea, I think lemon tea, mint tea, maybe uh, like, and it's tea. on page four. Yeah, it's on page four hundred and seventy nine of the. You know, <laughs> Which does best beg the question: What was Jonathan doing in there, reading down to page? I don't four hundred. Anyway, know. I'm no I'm judgment. Forever, no judgment, Jonathan. No judgment. No, I'm forever. I'm forever thankful, though. Right. So, <laughs> I, of course, I've downloaded this thing, and what, one of the things about. So I've seen a few of the kind of army, navy, blah 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 doctrines. Like they have, they have these books that they give to their to their soldiers. And one of the things that I like about it is that they always assume that you start from nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like because you've got young people who are coming into the forces from a huge, diverse range of backgrounds. Everything you know, like whether or not they've had jobs before or whether they went to school before or and they come into the armed forces for whatever reason, right? And so what they have to do is they have to go, they have to zero all that out and they say, this is how you eat, right? Like this is what you should eat, like according to science. And particular doctrine was written by, I think, four PhD nutritionist type people, right? Amazing, and, right. Yeah, and what they do is they break it down to the simplest level. So, because they can't assume that everybody who's reading this book understands the difference between a carbohydrate and a protein, right? So they start with what is a carbohydrate, and oh, you know, right. what is so, a protein. Like right. break it all the way down. So if you like that kind of writing, and you can get into a particular topic from a zero knowledge base, and, and I like that's that's good, right? Like you can go, you can go, and you can do all of the advanced nutrition you want elsewhere. Right, but if you want to, if you if you really want to understand why drinking alcohol is bad for you, then this book will tell you. Right <laughs> from a, from a from a performance perspective, right? Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. says this is what happens. And one of the one of the quotes um, out of it that I tweeted out in response, they were talking about uh, Panadol, you know, ibuprofen. They're called NSAIDs. Name, yeah, yeah, name, something. And I, I can't remember what that is, but anyway effectively blood thinners so and they say try not to take these painkillers before you go on operations because if you because it promotes bleeding oh so right? if you like, get shot if you get shot right I mean, <laughs> you're like oh yeah dang right that's a really dangerous job where they're talking about yeah don't take panadol before you go on an operation you know, because you've got a sore knee. Well, let's <laughs> like put it this way. As academics, we're never given that kind of advice because... No. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nature that's of right. the work. Yes. Yes, nature yes. of the work. Uh, the other thing that uh, I've been kind of reading but not really reading, I bought a subscription to Masterclass. Have you seen that stuff on the on the interwebs? I have seen Master- it advertised at me, but I haven't sort of explored it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, like, I signed up. So part of my... Part of my goals for this year is to expand, is to learn new things, really. Yeah. And one of the ways that I wanted to go about it, like my time's maxed out pretty much as it is now with, um, with work and with jujitsu and the tinny and on the reg and Mm. like the, all the reading that we, we do for on the reg, although enjoyable, it does chew up a bunch of time. Sometimes I just want to be able to get into something kind of really quickly, learn the thing. 
And Masterclass does a really good job of that. Oh. So what they do is they break it right down. So uh, I've got high hopes for this. I've only seen one. I've started my first lesson, if you like, was um, on Texas barbecue. So <laughs> I, yeah, right. <laughs> so how do you, how do you do the best brisket? Blah blah blah. And uh, it was great. Like I learned heaps just from sitting down and kind of watching this thing. And it's it's just really good. It's put together really well. It's like the best online course that you're going to take. It's beautifully shot, right? Like they have thrown all sorts of money at producing these things. It has downloadable worksheets. Um, the whole thing is just, you know, the start of a lesson is we're going to go through all of this. Sort of, they set up your expectations. Uh, it's just like it's just really, really, really good. And so, yeah, I haven't really – that's been my kind of pseudo-reading, and I know that that's not really quite reading, but <laughs> – No, we'll count I, um, it. We'll count it. My barbecuing's gone up. My, <laughs> my barbecue – like, it's getting better. <laughs> lifting your barbecue game. I am lifting my barbecue game. Yeah. You've um, – so you've talked about – you've talked about here in the show notes, mm. one that really kind of piqued my interest was this – I read 2,000 to 10,000 words a day by Rachel Aaron. Rachel Aaron, Aaron. yes. Can you talk to me about that? Because I read that in the show notes and I'm like, what is that? You've been holding out. There's a, <laughs> there's a technique I don't know about. Oh, no, this is a technique I've been teaching in boot camp for a really long time. Rachel Aaron oh. is a novelist and she yep. has this triangle of writing productivity and it's got three sides to it, time, knowledge huh. and enthusiasm. And it's the formula we use in boot camp is that we talk about, you know, measuring your time, understand having time set aside, time boxing, understanding where you're productive and where you aren't productive. Do you write better in a cafe? What sort of things do you write in a cafe that you can write somewhere else? Um, Knowledge about what you're going to write, how to outline in ways that are useful and not sort of over outline but not under outline and then how to find enthusiasm. So Rachel Aaron's a novelist and she, you know, had a young family and had to keep up her sort of um, self-publishing output and so she was like, if I'm not enjoying what I'm writing in this scene, mm. who's going to enjoy reading it? So the enthusiasm part's really interesting, but it's a it's a great book. It's a blog there's a blog post, so you can just read the blog post if you want. The book's really cheap. It's $2.99. It's yeah. she's a novelist, so it's well written. And it's just I would recommend it to anyone. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned, like I say, that I've been using for years in, in boot camp. But I've just been working off her, her blog post, actually, because which, which is quite detailed. And and so I just finally sat down and read the whole book. And it's uh, really worth the read. It's entertaining. Um, um, we'll stick that in the show notes then, the link yep. to that blog post. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, did read, I did also Sorry. read the four-hour work week in less than four hours. <laughs> Tim, Tim Ferriss. And and listeners, we are going to start a new segment in our in our work segment. Every now and then, we're going to do our "Is this book bullshit?" segment, uh, where we're going to pick <laughs> a famous part of the productivity literature. And the Tim Ferriss book is really famous. It's about fifteen years old now. The Four Hour Work Week. Um, so I won't say what I, but I have notes. I and am I, deliberately not going into like I'm not going to read. I, don't read I the notes myself yet. Yeah. Not to spoil it. Yes. Like, I, I yes. just. Just come at me on, when, we, when we publish Feminist steamroller. I did think I could, I could probably anticipate some of what's just, coming I've down just, the pipe. I've just got some notes about okay. how 
Anyway, so Tim Ferriss is now, um, <laughs> I learned a new word yesterday, yesterday um, broadcasting. Ah, right. You know, podcasts by bros, broadcasting. He's right. definitely a broadcaster. I think Cal Newport is as well. Definitely yeah. Joe Rogan is the er uh, oh, broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. So it's that spectrum of sort of biohacking and like optimal performance. And anyway, I love that shit. I love getting into it. Yeah, so, me too. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I'm I love critiquing broadcasting it. audience number one. Right. <laughs> That's right. And we've kind of been doing that with uh, Stephen Covey taking apart what, God, what's the name of Stephen Covey's book now? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Right. So we've kind of been doing a long Is This Book Bullshit of that chapter by chapter. So we'll continue some of those. But then, yeah, we'll pick up some more Is This Book Bullshit episodes. So, yes, be ready did some. I did some non-scientific market kind of (laughs) testing around this idea with some of my friends. Yes. And and I said, like, we're going to do this thing. Is this book bullshit? And they kind of looked at me blankly. And I'm like, and then I dropped some of the names of the books that we yeah. that we've been talking about. And they're like, "That's awesome! I'm like, I'm totally going to tune into that one." I listened the <laughs> so, heck out of that book. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I reckon, I reckon it'll be fun. And like, dear listener, we have like, if it's on an ivory tower, we <laughs> we're gonna. We're going to read it. Like you say, say if you walk past things that have words in them, we're going to read the words. Now, one that I didn't put in the show notes um, is I listened to a really great, and I sent you the link to the podcast in text, to an Ezra Klein show um, episode, and it's called This Conversation Will Change How You Think About Thinking. And he was talking to Annie Murphy-Paul, who's written this book called The Extended Mind, which I can't get a hold of. It's just about to come out in paperback and it's not in Kindle. I'm assuming they'll bring them out at the same time. Um, But she does build on the work of Andy Clark, who I read a lot for my thesis. I did a whole lot of, because my thesis was about hand gestures, I did a lot of reading into Extended Mind, cognition using artefacts, what is thinking. Mm. And so they had a really interesting conversation. I recommend it. Not exactly a book, but a recommendation to a whole bunch of books. And as a result of that conversation, I bought all these fidget toys. See, I've been fidgeting with this one. It's like a little cog thing that you just roll over your fingers. It's a bike chain. It's like a bike chain. Listeners who can't see Inga, it's a... It's a bike chain that is an endless loop, um, yes. but it's but it's only it looks like a couple inches in diameter. And I've got this so other one. So fits over like, two fingers. Like little ball bearings. Feels really nice. And I've got this other one, which is like a fidget spinner. And then these ones, which go over your finger and then you just sort of roll them backwards and forwards. Anyway, they're sold to people who have ADHD and autism and right. um, who feel a need to stim in order to focus. So they'll have a repetitive right. behaviour. Now, I have a repetitive behaviour where I sort of pick at my cuticles, always have my whole life, like yeah. part of my anxiety. I'm like, oh, like two two uses of these fidget toys is have I actually got some sort of form of need to fidget that's yeah. at the moment wrecking my cuticles? Um, yeah. And could I defer that onto an, a thing? But her her interesting, really interesting about how the brain works and how to, to treat it like a computer is a false analogy. It's nothing like a computer. Yeah. To treat it like a muscle is a false analogy. In fact, you don't get very far treating the brain like a muscle. 
Mm. And that really came as a, as a shock to me because I'd always thought about if you want to get better at something, you train it, you repeat, you repeat. Mm. And that's, she says, it kind of works, but it has limited utility just because of the way the brain, and they go deeply into it in this podcast. And what these mm. little things do is help you stay in flow state and it bloody works, Jason. It bloody really? works. It works. So I can't believe it. Life changer. So I got huh. these ones from Keiko Fidgets, K-A-I-K-O, and I got the tin yep. <laughs> with the work, so it was about 60 bucks. Yeah, and I will, I've got a little tin on my desk and I'm going to buy another one for work. And then when I want to think, I yeah. if I, you know, if I'm sort of writing or surfing or thinking, I just do that. Focus is incredible. I can't even... So it could just wow. be me that I'm actually undiagnosed ADHD, but her her contention is we're kind of all like that. That's how yeah, humans yeah. are designed to be, is to be kind of simultaneously doing things. Like we're kind of designed to talk to people and pick crops or to walk yeah. along and sing. Like we're sort of designed yeah. to run sort of multiple processes at the same time. So that yeah. was really fascinating um, discussion. So if you don't want to read yeah. the book, you can just listen to a podcast and you'll pretty much get the gist of it. And then you'll just be there buying fidget toys, which are great fun. And the other one I've been reading is called The Smart Wife, Why Siri, Alexa and Other Smart Home Devices Need a Feminist Reboot, which is all about yes. domest- domestic robots. It's great. Right. It's so yeah. fun and so interesting and, you know, and we've got an ongoing mutual interest in robots and hoping they don't get guns put on them and yes. so on. Yes, the, the contention of the book is that, that domestic robots are often feminised and why this is the case and what kind of work they're performing. It's, re- it's a really fun read, really smart, really fun, entertaining. Yeah. And they're from <clears throat> RMIT. Oh, so really? that is um, Jenny Kennedy and Yoland Strengers, who I think I think I knew Yoland when I was Yolandi. I think I think I knew Yolandi yeah. when I was working at RMIT. I seem to remember her name, but anyway, great yeah. work, fantastic work. Oh wow! Mm. Yeah, not uh, not a couple <laughs> of people that I'm familiar with. You know, bumping around, so it must work in one of the other colleges. Um, yeah, I think the, yeah, not in the business college. No, yeah, mm. yeah. Ah, wow. So, Yes. I I don't know whether or not this is part of that book, So, and this might be kind of just tangential, mm. but I'm aware of a critique of the Siri and the Alexas of the world um, having female voices because it trains people to think that women are assist- assistants, like that, that kind of reinforces that stereotype that women are assistants and that, that it can that can be bad for families with young children to set up that kind of stereotype. And, and, and I don't know whether or not I heard that from you or whether or not I just read it somewhere else or that I'm, I'm not quite sure where that idea came from. Yeah, um, I think it did come from them. Like there is a, there's a whole realm of sort of feminist study, cultural studies of, of automation and robots so they right. do build on a lot of other work in the area. So it could have been them or it could have been some of the people they cite. But it's definitely a really lively debate. Yeah, and even when they do kind of, you know, non-binary robots, like the Pepper robot in Japan, yeah. it's still soft and curvy and, you know. Yeah, um, yeah and it's, just, it, it's a fun book. It's written really accessibly, like for a piece of sort of feminist literature. It's yeah. a really good sort of starter book if you're interested in technology and feminism and 
it's just a fun read and it makes you really think about every time you encounter a piece of automated technology in a whole different way. I love books like that anyway. Yeah. 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 Ah, links in the yeah. show notes. Yes. Links in the show notes. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to move this on rapidly because we, yeah. Yeah. I said, let's not do more than Good an job. hour. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I will be yeah, able hope- to cut. I'm going to cut some stuff. I'll find things to cut. All right. So (laughs) I'm hopeless. Uh, So I'm going to move us into our two-minute tip territory. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is in honour of one of the techniques that David Allen advocates in his Getting Things Done books. He argues that if you can think up a task and it takes less than two minutes to complete, you should do it then and there because it will take longer to capture in your task system, schedule some time to do it, mark it as complete, all the palaver that goes around, uh, all of that sort of stuff, than if you just got after it and just did it. And then, yeah, we kind of have a broad understanding about what sure. that might look like. It's flexible. It's flexible. So I've got one, um, I, which is uh, it's almost in the two-minute tip category. Uh, it's a software recommendation. So I love these little pieces of software that do one job but do them really, really well. Mm. This is a problem that I have had for decades and I can't believe it's taken me so long to figure out how to solve that particular problem. But I came across a little Mac software app so everyone will know that we're a mac shop here at on the rig and it lives in your menu bar and lets you create countdowns Mm. so you can set a time and a date in the future sometime and it'll just say you've got 53 days 17 hours 14 minutes and 16 seconds until you know end of the world or something right amazing this is like a game changer yeah right yeah so the, why this is important for someone like me is that you can create multiple countdowns. So, and that's really important when you are doing lots of teaching across different courses. So, because they all start at different times in different parts of the world, we don't have we don't have one academic calendar. We've got nine. Mm. So, you know, when we're teaching in Singapore, that starts at a different time of the year to when we're teaching in Melbourne. Blah 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 blah. So. You can create multiple countdowns and it will list them in ascending order from the due date. Mm. So where that, where I would like to have been able to change that would be to be able to drag and drop them in the order that I want. So to mm. be able to group. So, for example, we're talking about my strategy course. Strategy in Melbourne has three pieces of assessment. Those three pieces of assessment are all related to one another and I want to be able to kind of look at that list and go, oh, yeah, that's Melbourne strategy and these are the dates for that. And Singapore is different and blah, blah, blah. You can't do that. You can't reorder them. But what you can do is that you can set the color of the timer, the background color of the timer. Yeah, I can so, see that in the screen grab. It's useful. Yeah. Yeah. So my Singapore timers are blue. My Melbourne ones are green. And the other advantage of this particular piece is it will sync through iCloud across all of your Macs. Mm. So you set it up. So I set it up at home and then... When I went into work, I had to do a little bit of teaching in, uh, at work. I went in, fired up my Mac, and there it was, and they were all synced and in place. They, I have a companion iOS app as well that does the same thing. You download this thing. Uh, you have to pay for the it, – it's a one-off purchase, uh, both of these apps. It's not a subscription model. Um, I like a, a one-off purchase. Yeah, and it's, yeah. And, it's, and it's reasonably – like in terms of value for money, it's reasonably mm. cheap. So – Four ninety nine on the Mac App Store, uh, US for the Mac version, and then so that's about eight bucks mm. Australian, Reasonable. and then two 
two ninety nine uh, Australian for the iOS version, and it just syncs, and it's just one of those apps that just works, right? Like yeah. it just it does exactly what it says on the tin, makes it really easy for you to see what you're counting down to. And does um, it draw it in from the calendar? Where does it? Where does it? Draw no, no, no. You you go in, you set up in the in the little settings yeah. uh, gear thing. You go in there and you say, okay, I want to. I title it this. This is the due date and time when this thing, yeah, yeah, this yeah. countdown has to finish. Yeah. So in the little screen grab, um, I set this up a few weeks ago. So at the time I put in my Melbourne strategy assessment due dates because mm. uh, I know I'll be teaching Melbourne strategy class in semester one and it's like 101 days to the first piece of assessments due, 136 for the second, 157 for the third. Where this is useful in terms of your teaching is that as you wander into a class, online class, face-to-face class, whatever, you can have a quick look at your phone and you can remind your students, right, hey, gang, we've got 23 days until this thing's due. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should be at kind of this stage of your assessment preparation by now. And so, and then you could, you know, LMS messages and and announcements and all that sort of stuff. You just take that data and just... But you can do it for all sorts of things, like sort of self-imposed deadlines on your your writing or your, yeah... Yeah, I yep. really like that because it sort of gives you a sense of how much time there is, whereas yep. a date doesn't really give you that point of reference unless you're looking at it on a paper calendar, which is why paper calendars are still really handy, I think, is that you can see it. But this gives yeah, you another yeah, yeah. way to see it digitally. Well, yeah, and the date, the due date is in my calendar, right? Mm. Like, So I know that it's, you know, February the 20-something-something-something. Something, something, it's right? maybe like, not visible to you, right? Like That's it. If yeah. I'm in January, I'm not yeah. thinking about, thinking about I, it. And then I have to scroll to find yeah. February and then it's yeah. like, where is it in February again? I mean, and it's well, kind thing- of the Bujo kind of discipline, isn't it, to do that forward projecting and back. Like, so it sort of sits in that. You are mm. kind of – but it, that's the best part about the Bujo, I think, is that, you know, what's actually coming up this month and seeing it on a page and stuff. But this actually keeps it present, which is really handy, super Yeah, handy. and t- tiny little app um, sits in your menu bar so it doesn't take up any screen yeah, yeah, real estate. Yeah. Well, Click it's like on that it, uh, Meter app that you put me onto at the start of the pandemic, Meter, M-E-E-T-E-R, if you hadn't listened to that episode – which just sits in your toolbar and tells you the time countdown to your next online meeting. I'm looking up at mine has got three days and 22 hours before I have my next online meeting, yeah. which is just yep. bloody handy, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I um, I think I've probably just annoyed every on the reg listener because I've talked about this piece of software and I don't think I actually called out its name <laughs> uh, at the start of this segment. It's called Waiting <laughs> List. <laughs> so, yeah, Waiting List. Um, available on your Mac App Store and on your iOS App Store. Inga, you, do you have one? Um, okay, so I I found on the internet, well, Twitter, tldrpapers.com, which is genius and fun. So yes. it's basically a site that uses machine learning to turn your academic babble into text that even a second grader can understand. Um, and it's geared for scientists, but it works okay, actually, with humanities things. So basically, you take your abstract, you put it in this machine, you say submit, and then yep. I think it's the GPT-3 is the machine learning engine. So it's one of the better-known ones that's trained on the internet. Um, and it yep. tries to interpret what you said and say it more simply. So I put in a, a long abstract. You can see the screen grab there about yeah, yeah. machine learning and the thing that we did. And the first time it got it completely wrong. The second time, 
It got it really correct, though. If it doesn't get it right, you can say try again, try again, try again. I mean, it's kind of silly. It doesn't really save you time, but it is enlightening to see how a machine reinterprets your words and it might help you write a clearer abstract or if you've got to just get a line, one liner for telling people what your research is about, this would be actually really helpful. I'm going to build it into my classes, my three-minute thesis classes and so on to get the machine to help them get something simpler. Um, yeah. That is really um, so. It's it's and it's just fun and silly, a little bit silly. So TLDR papers. And what I really like about it is that the bug at the top, the picture at the top, is an old fax machine. Yes. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even recognise it was it was. I looked at it and went, "Is that a fax machine? My God, it's been years." <laughs> I, I still get I still get surprised when faxes like you, every now and again you come across a business that has a fax, yeah, and you're yeah. just like. Why? Actually, but, doctors are still really into it. Yeah. Like healthcare, yeah. They're still sending pieces of paper all over the place. It's crazy. Yeah, I still love fax that. machines, though. So awesome. <laughs> they were like, when they first appeared, you're like, this is magic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Pixelated magic, but magic but nonetheless. Magic nonetheless. All right, I'm gonna pull this. I'm gonna pull this bus into the bus bay thing, um, and I'm just gonna call out. I'm gonna look. Folks, we love reviews. Um, we'd love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, that uh, helps other people to find us. Uh, we read every one of them. We got one in December oh, did um, as well. Read it's it out good. because we said that we would, right? And we, we a, read every one. It's a five-star review. Thank you good. from Aussie in UAE, so United yes. Arab Emirates. We're very international, this show. Just listen to the one about overwhelm. I love this podcast. I found it while surviving my PhD in 2019. I'm grateful for the life changes I get from this podcast, Bujo especially. Wish I had that earlier in my PhD journey. Lots of great tips and conversations. Never wanted a tinny or a sun lounge before. Thanks to you both. I like. <laughs> we need affiliate marketing on tinnies and we've got another one here There's, actually too. From yeah, yeah that, uh, I hadn't. I, airing a dirty laundry. I hadn't seen that one that you just read out. So thank you for that. There was one earlier, I think. Have you got it there? This one's funny. No, I don't. Um, this is from Sweet Lassie. I'm guessing I Sweet Lassie might be in Scotland as well. I'm hoping that's another Scottish flavour. Um, and it's called This Should Be Compulsory Listening. Loving this podcast. Who would have thought two people talking about academia and work and doing a PhD could make me laugh out loud? Not only that, it's full of incredibly useful tips and aha moments. I've already downloaded Nirvana, an uninstalled Facebook and Outlook from my phone. I haven't got onto the text expander bandwagon yet, though I can see its usefulness. The flashbacks to doing a PhD, the pandemic in 2020 and the great university clean out are a bit disconcerting, but at least they're also helpful in providing perspective, clarity and a bit of empathy. Empathy, five stars. Thank you, sweet Lassie. Wow, that's so nice. I feel so affirmed. Yes. Well, so, sweet Lassie, if you need uh, help with your text expander journey, may I suggest a a book written by two of our favourite academics? (laughs) We wrote a a book on how to leverage text expander for academic use um, and put a whole bunch of just, we think, useful, and other people have said they're useful as well, um, examples so that you can kind of get on the launch pad really, really quickly if you want. Tried to write it in a really easy, accessible kind of way. And I think we hit that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And people are people are sending us photos of, of them doing things out and about in the world with the time that they've saved using Text Expander. So that's awesome. Thank you. 
Yes, and also thank you for buying in terms of um, funding the podcast because it's not a cost-neutral exercise um, in hosting or any of the kind of bits and bobs that we've had to buy. And so we raised through the Text Expander book $472 so far. So thank you. Ah, that pays for our podcasting fees. Riverside and... Just about. Almost covers the the, uh, the hosting and, and all the bits and bobs. Yeah, so we need to run another one, oh. Jason, no pressure. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got any ideas about what that book might be about? I was thinking the art of academic email. Ooh. Because I would nice. just buy that. that. I would just be like, bye. Yeah. And I like the idea of we, art. Oh, you know? Would you would you de-identify and then just like, here's an example of Oh, handy percent. Yeah, because yes. we've all got those emails, right? Totally. Oh, I've got some great ones. I keep them. The, my favourite oh, one dang. started with, dear human and autonomous, or are you an automaton? <laughs> <laughs> are we living in a Marxist deep webs conspiracy? It's so fantastic. It was just the best. Anyway. <laughs> I got accused in an email of being a, a robot. Because a student had emailed uh, something and then I had a sick child and I was up at like two in the morning dealing with that and trying to to get him back to sleep and all that sort of stuff. So that wasn't going smoothly. So I fired up my email and, you know, might as well just answer a bunch of email, right? And so I wrote back and I wrote back the answer that the student didn't want to hear at, you know, 2.37 in the morning or something like that. Student launched a complaint with my school because I'd obviously just automated. I hadn't listened to what that particular student had to say and had obviously automated this thing and, like, because clearly people are not up at 2.37 in the morning, right, and um, launched a complaint against me. <coughs> I know, right? It was, oh, my gosh. So the, com- the complaints officer, <laughs> like, just dismissed it. And then went, no, no, he was up at 2.37 and he wrote that email to you. <laughs> and I'm sorry, it's not what you wanted to hear, but right, like, that's Jason. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Like, just, we've got so many emails, right? That's a genius idea for a book. I reckon it is. I will, I will yeah. start a Google Doc. Right, I roger that. So. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Thanks, folks. Um, at the start of this uh, episode today, we we piped in a couple of speak pipe recordings um, from Siobhan and from Jonathan. If you want to contribute and if you've got if you've got things to say, we want to hear it. You can find speak pipe at www.speakpipe.com forward slash thesis whisperer. We'd love to hear from you, and you can do what Siobhan has done, which has given me more work. Thanks for that, <laughs> <Yvonne>. <laughs> Or you can do what, uh, or you can do what Jonathan has done, which has made me think I'm maybe measuring probably the wrong things. We, yeah, we are. More than, to feedback and corrections. Yeah, yes. more than one area of my life, I think. So, thank you, Inga. Where can we find you on the interwebs? Just Google at Thesis Whisperer. You'll find me everywhere. But I'm not on Facebook very much. No, excellent. And I'm at Jason Downs, mostly on Twitter. Uh, Feel free to write to us. We love it. We'll talk to you. We're good people. You're good people. We can people. talk for we hours. Like that sort of stuff. Yeah, apparently. One hour and 51 minutes it and will 46 be seconds. It'll be All very right, short. It will be shorter. short. 
It'll be brutal each other. And that doesn't count the amount of time before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. Talking yeah. as well. Probably right? should get on with our day. Not that I yeah, have anything right. to do in my no. Mm. No. holiday to do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, folks. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you, Inga. Thanks, Jess. See ya. See ya.